Let's take our Bibles, turn to the book of 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles, about a third of the way into the Old Testament. We're going to study chapter 26 this morning. On the back of your bulletin, there's a space for you to take some notes. I encourage you to do that. The title of the message is Dangerous Assumption. All of the messages now are on iTunes, and they're also on our Facebook page. Uh, and soon, we hope within the next 30 days, we'll be launching harborrocktabernacle.org. Um, so that's coming. You'll be able to download all the podcasts in there. But if you miss a week and you just want to catch up or whatever, um, you can do that on, on iTunes. We also are, are working on making CDs of the last six weeks. And uh, one bonus, if you serve in the children's area on Sunday morning, uh, we'll give you a free CD since you don't get to hear the message live. So that's a, a good way to have the benefit of serving and also get to hear the Word of God. Amen? All right. Second Chronicles 26, the account of King Uzziah. This, in my opinion, is one of the saddest and most tragic chapters and accounts of a person in the whole Bible. Biblical history is full of uh, the stories of the kings, and many of them, to put it mildly, messed up. Many of them strayed from the Lord and did not do the right thing and neglected God. Uh, over half the kings of Israel and Judah, it says in the Bible, did evil in the sight of the Lord. And even some who started out doing good in the sight of the Lord strayed a little bit at the end. And what we see throughout Israel's history, Israel and Judah, the two uh, nations that came out of the split uh, after Solomon's sons uh, kind of had a conflict, is we see that Israel's on a real roller coaster ride, and many times they're down, and then they'll come back up, and we'll have a king that reforms a little bit, and then they'll go back down. And the nation just struggled and suffered because of this, and, and constantly um, was kind of in a spiritual pit. And what's fascinating is you study Jewish history and the history of Kings and Chronicles, and you see almost a partnership between Uzziah and Zechariah at this point. And those themes, turning away from evil and the danger of pride and the danger of self-sufficiency and seeking the Lord's help are all clearly relevant in Uzziah's life. And if you look back at verse 5, it says, as long as he sought the Lord, God prospered him. Don't get caught up in that word prospered because it's been misappropriated. That word doesn't mean, it doesn't have a connection to that incorrect line of thinking known as the prosperity gospel which essentially says that God wants to give you wealth and blessing and favor, and if you just do the right things and send the money to the right people, you'll get whatever you want. That's false teaching. It's nowhere in the Bible. God never wants us to be preoccupied with the things of earth. He never wants us to become preoccupied with materialism or even pray for material possessions. He wants us to lay up our treasures where? In heaven. Not here. He doesn't care about shopping and Black Friday and all that. That matters nothing to him. In fact, that's a distraction to us because he says your treasure's not here. Get your heart right. Get your heart in heaven. That's where the treasure is. Become preoccupied with that. So to teach that God wants us to be healthy and wealthy and prosperous and have all these things and, and that'll make us happy, that's false teaching. The word prospered here, I want you to hear this. The word prospered here means to advance and make progress. As long as he sought the Lord, listen now, he advanced and made progress. 
As long as he sought the Lord, God put his hand on his life and on his kingship and on his ministry and said, I'm going to help you advance. And that was as much about his spiritual state as it was about his career. So Uzziah, verse 5, he's seeking the Lord. God put his hand on him and blessed him and helped him and guided him and directed him and allowed him to be successful in doing the things that brought honor to the Lord and led the people on the right path. Because three times, that's the precursor to this statement. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. He continued to seek the Lord, and as long as he sought the Lord. And then the Spirit, for the next about ten verses, details some of the ways in which the Lord helped Uzziah to advance. Let's just breeze over this next section. We see that Uzziah fights and defeats the Philistines. Philistines are a metaphor. Anytime you see them show up in Scripture, God is testing the spiritual resolve of his people. So the Philistines show up. They showed up with David and Goliath. They show up with Solomon. They show up throughout the history. Now they show up with Uzziah. And Uzziah, because God's blessing him and helping him, defeats the Philistines. And he builds cities, and they become strong, and he becomes well-known, and he responds with wisdom. He fortifies Jerusalem against attack because he knew God's priority on that city. And he prepares and safeguards the people against their enemies. He builds watchtowers in the wilderness, and then he builds extra cisterns because he had lots of livestock, and he wanted to guard the people against drought. And then he places an emphasis on farming, and as he's doing that, he's building up a very powerful army. And we see in the text that he has 2,500 commanders, 300,000 plus elite troops specially trained to fight the enemies. And he gives every one of them the best battle gear and the best weapons technology, and he brings innovative methods to have the strongest military possible. And by the end of verse 15, it takes just 15 verses to go from 16-year-old to the top of the world. His fame is known throughout the region. They know him all the way down to Egypt. Israel's fortified. God has helped him. He's been generous to him. And we read in the verse, his fame spread afar, for he was marvelously helped until he was strong. Now I want you to notice something here. The text does not say he was helped. He was, excuse me, the text does not say he was strong because he was intelligent. He certainly was. It doesn't say he was strong because he was creative, because he certainly was. It doesn't say he was strong because he's clever. It says he was marvelously helped, tell me the next word in the text, until he was strong. He was marvelously helped until he was strong. Again, the Spirit of God is being clear. Uzziah's help came from the Lord. And David says in Psalm 121, my help comes from the Lord who made what? Heaven and earth. Always keep that perspective. God made heaven and earth, which means he also made me and you. So to say, look at me, I am the man. To say, you know what, I've worked very hard, I'm a self-made man, or I'm a self-made woman, like, like we contributed to the success that's only fooling ourselves. Any success we have comes from the Lord. It's never by our strategies or our cleverness, but that's exactly the delusion that Uzziah dropped back into. And it brings us to what I believe is one of the most tragic 
and unnecessary events in the Bible. Look at verse 16. But when he became strong, his heart was so proud that he acted corruptly. And he was unfaithful to the Lord his God, for he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Now there's so much to take apart here, and we're going to take a couple minutes to do that. But I want you to notice the repetition of the phrase from the end of verse 15 into verse 16. It's like the Spirit, well, he certainly did. He knows all things. He knew that the, the people who developed the, the layout of the Bible were going to put a break there. In fact, how many in their text have a subheading there, I got pride, Uzziah's undoing? How many have a, a subheading there? Raise your hand. All right, so there's a break, right? At the very least, there's a break between verse 15 and verse 16. The Bible wasn't written in verses. So the Spirit, just to make sure that we don't miss the point, says at the end of verse 15, he was marvelously helped until he became strong. But when he became strong, in other words, there's a, there's a repetition there that says, don't miss this now, reader. As you study, don't miss this because I'm going to say it again. When he became strong, that's when the pride kicked in. And that's when he got in trouble. I want you to notice the progression here because there's a pattern that sin follows every time. Write these down if you are taking notes. It starts with pride. Pride underlies every sin. It's a destructive force that almost can't be stopped once it's unleashed. And it does an incredible amount of damage. It's incalculable how, how pride can destroy hearts and minds and lives and reputations and marriages and families. And since none of us is immune from it and every single one of us is susceptible to it, I beg you, I beg you, I beg you as your pastor, we must guard against it. We must pray against it. We must resist it with everything we have, both personally and as a church, because it can ruin your life, it can divide the body, and it can even divide this young church. Pride is where it all starts. And then quickly, pride escalates into corruption. Corruption starts in the mind and in the heart and it moves without delay into our actions. Once the heart and mind are infected by pride, our heart starts to get corrupt and hardened, and then it moves into step three, which is unfaithfulness to the Lord. I looked up that word in the Hebrew because I want to know what it meant. You know what it means? It means unfaithfulness. Sometimes the Hebrew just says, this is what it is. They got it right. Unfaithfulness. It's the word that's also used for infidelity in marriage, among other things. It represents moral failure and character failure and unwillingness to stay committed and loyal and truthful, and that leads to a loss of trust and a breach in the relationship, and it undermines the very core foundation of the union, and it can only be restored when the offended person shows grace and mercy and forgiveness and says, I forgive you. God says Uzziah went from his ego into the corruption of his mind, and then it says he became unfaithful to the Lord. Unfaithfulness is an extension of pride, and it's usually displayed forth in actions that are both arrogant and outrageous. 
I've studied this passage so many times, I cannot fathom what leads or motivates Uzziah to go into the temple of the Lord. Notice the distinction, the Holy Spirit, they're adding a little emphasis. He goes into the temple of the Lord. And he starts to burn incense by himself. He usurps the priest's job. Now, everything in the law says that the Levite priests were the only ones allowed to do that job. So to even enter this area as a non-Levite, let alone somebody who didn't go through the ritualistic cleansing process that it took to go in there, let alone somebody that goes in with the express purpose of defying the law of God, it puts Uzziah in a position where there's no possible way that the Lord's going to look the other way and say, eh, that's okay. But notice how merciful God is. Even before he punishes Uzziah, he sends 81 priests in to warn him. Let's read the rest of the text here. Then Azariah the priest entered after him, and with him 80 priests of the Lord, valiant men. They opposed Uzziah the king and said to him, It's not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense, were set apart. Get out of the sanctuary. Boy, those are scary words. For you have been unfaithful and will have no honor from the Lord God. But Uzziah, ooh, that's a bad word right there, with a censer in his hand for burning incense, was enraged. And while he was enraged with the priests, the leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord beside the altar of incense. God never brings impurity into his temple. That's how serious this was. Right there on the spot, he brings leprosy, which was the most dirty of diseases. I'll talk about it more in a minute. Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, and behold, he was leprous on his forehead, and they hurried him out of there, and he himself also hastened to get out, because the Lord had smitten him. Finally, he gets it. King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death, and he lived in a separate house, being a leper, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord, and Jotham, his son, was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. Now, the rest of the acts of Uzziah, first to last, the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, is written. So Uzziah slept with his fathers, and they buried him with his fathers in the field of the grave, which belonged to the kings, for they said, he is a leopard, and Jothan his son was king in his place. God sends in 81 priests, and between verse 18 and verse 19, look at the text now, this is the defining moment of Uzziah's life. You want to narrow it down to one moment that is key. It's between verse 18 and verse 19. What we do in our reaction to conviction will always give us a strong barometer of the state of our heart and mind. And clearly, it goes without saying that at this point, Uzziah is proud and defiant and his ego is out of control and he's taking credit for the, what the Lord's done and he can't even see the spiritual slide that he's on. Everyone else has seen it Nobody's been willing to tail him and to cause him to admit it. So as he holds the censer in his hand, which is what you use to burn incense, he's already far down the path of destruction. And here come 81 men. Can you imagine such a scene? Picture it in your head now. 81 priests come in and say, you got to stop. You immediately, Uzziah, need to stop dishonoring the Lord. And Uzziah has a life changing decision at that moment. If this was a TV show, they'd cut the commercial. 
try to sell us a slap chop or something. They'd make us wait four minutes. Uzziah'd stand there and the priest would say, you stop that. Fade to black. But that's not what the text does. And it's disappointing because we hope he's going to make the right choice, that he's going to turn around and walk out of the temple and he's going to fall on his face out in the dirt and repent to the Lord and get back to the place where he used to be when he sought the Lord. God bless him. The tragedy of the text is that is not what happens. And what struck me as I studied this text this week and prepared this message is how absolutely ticked off Uzziah is when he's called to conviction. The Bible says he's enraged. The word means furious and angry and hostile. And the Spirit uses it twice. He was enraged. And he was enraged at the priests. There's no way we can interpret that other than an act of angry defiance motivated by a lack of humility and a lack of selflessness, selflessness and a lack of repentance. You can almost smell the scent of hell over this scene. You can almost smell, you can almost see the devil even in the middle of God's holy temple, you can see the devil working his way into Uzziah's mind. And the arrogance and the pride and the self-confidence. Because he's assuming at this point that he can do whatever he wants, even if it means going against the Lord's instructions. And he will not be challenged on it. So he doesn't do what the other kings did. They just ignored the Lord. Or they just worshiped false idols out in the wilderness. No, Uzziah wants to take it a step further. He actually goes into the temple and co-ops the priest's office and the priest's function. And he's probably acting like he has great zeal for the Lord. Oh, I'll go in and I'll burn the incense. And he walks around and struts around as the king in his robe and he walks up to the altar incense and he grabs the censer and he starts to burn the incense. And then 80 men, 81 men walk in and they are set apart from the Lord and, he sa and they say, stop. Why did he do it? Maybe he thought he was better than the priests. Maybe he figured other kings burn incense, so why shouldn't he? Maybe he wasn't content with all the Lord had given him. We don't know. It really doesn't matter. Speculation does no good. All that matters is what the Lord thought of it. And verse 18 says that the Lord called out his proud assumption. Listen, church, the biggest trap and deception of the devil is to blind our minds with pride and to become self-sufficient, and to think that we can work independently of the Lord. And it becomes even more dangerous when we have some maturity in the Lord, and we have training, and we've grown up knowing the Lord, and the Lord's blessed us. We must never think at that point, listen, I've been in danger of this many times. You've been in danger of it many times. We must never think at that point, now I can freelance. Now I can just do what I want to do because I've been trained 
And I've been blessed by the Lord, and I've seen God work, and God's put me in a place where I can serve, so I'm just going to do my own thing at this point. I'm going to do what I want. We must never, ever fall into the lie. It's why we have to stay so dependent on the Lord and seek his face and never move forward without his clear leading. And when he says stop, we better hit the brakes like Fred Flintstone put his feet down. When God says don't go any further, we better say how quickly would you like me to stop because I know I need to. But that's not what Uzziah does. They say stop and he says get out of my face. That's the Paul Rhodes version. But literally, that's what he's saying here. Get out of my face. Back down, Azariah. No matter how much we defend it, no matter how much we justify it, no matter how much the rules we think don't apply to us, pride always comes back to bite us. And I'm sure Uzziah was almost dumbfounded at being challenged. I'm the king. Everything I've done has gone well. Maybe even he's arrogant enough to think, God has blessed me. Who are you guys to challenge me? I have every right to do this. See, there's a blindness to our pride that infiltrates our thinking and puts us in a position of confrontational self-defense, but our posture doesn't matter. What matters is whether the Lord is in it, and when something is not of the Lord, it becomes obvious very quickly. And for Uzziah, listen, we're almost done. You're listening well. For Uzziah, it took no time at all. Even as he's standing there with the censer in his hand, even as the smoke of the incense is burning up, even as the priests are standing there challenging what he's doing. Can you picture it now? Get it in your head, even if you close your eyes. Picture him standing there as king with the censer, and the incense is burning, and the priests are all around him. Even as he's standing there, leprosy instantly breaks out on his head. The disease was bad enough. It was bumps and open scabs and white Spots that seem to go underneath the skin and the hair around leprosy turns white and soon you have raw flesh. It was repulsive to even look at and it was incurable. So lepers were confined to areas outside the city limits, often near the dump where they could scavenge for food. Contracting leprosy made you ceremonially unclean from a spiritual standpoint. So if you were healed from it, you actually had to go to a priest and have it pronounced you clean. And according to Leviticus 13, leprosy on the head, on the forehead, was the most unclean form. It required banishment and isolation. Not because the leprosy was any more serious or contagious on the forehead, but listen now, it was because of the implications of the spiritual condition of the person. Leprosy on the forehead was special, and I don't mean in a good way. Because leprosy throughout scripture is seen as the spiritual, uh, excuse me, as the physical counterpart to the spiritual uh, problem of sin. It is the evidence that sin is there. That's why when a leper is healed in the Bible, the Bible doesn't call it a healing, they call it a cleansing. Because leprosy said something. 
leprosy said there's something wrong spiritually with this person. Now Uzziah's pride is so obvious that the leprosy immediately breaks out. And where does it break out? It breaks out on his head. And the priests are so taken back by it that they actually put themselves in danger because they're in the holy, clean house of the Lord. And they immediately come close to him, even though that's going to make them unclean. And they rush him out. And Uzziah finally gets it. And he hurries out too. How many know that the stain of sin and pride not only corrupts us, but also those around us? We must daily, daily, daily humble ourselves because we cannot ever afford to get puffed up. The Lord simply will not bless it. So guard your heart. Don't get distracted. That's the enemy's tactic to lull you into pride Resist him, and he will flee from you. The forehead, his heart and his mind had gotten infected and corrupted because his ego got big. And God says, let me deal with that for you while you're in my temple. And he shows the physical sign of the state of sin, and he puts it right here so Uzziah won't miss it. Something's wrong with your head. Sadly, this is the end. Uzziah never resists. We don't get any indication from the text that he ever repents. Now, how many know this is a fact, right? God is God of mercy. And there are abundant examples of him forgiving people even after years of sin. Hezekiah, who was three kings later, actually a good king, says in chapter 30, verse 9, if you return to the Lord, you will find compassion. For the Lord your God is gracious and compassionate, and he will not turn his face away from you if you return to him. But we never see it happen. We never see Uzziah turn away and seek forgiveness. His heart becomes hardened, which is just almost unthinkable to understand because now he's to himself for years and he has time to remember how things used to be and how God had favored him when he sought the Lord and how God had been faithful to him and taught him through Zechariah. Now he's isolated in his own personal desert, as much spiritual as physical. You would have think at some point he would have called on the Lord. You would think at some point he would replay it all in his mind and say, Lord, I have failed you. We don't see him ever doing it. But if he had, God would have responded. Because God says, when you call, I will answer. And if you confess your sins, I'll forgive them. So we have to conclude that Uzziah, day after day, year after year, until he died, defiantly refused to repent. And finally, living separately from everybody, he dies alone. And when they bury him, verse 23 says, they didn't bury him with the other kings. They buried him in a field near the other kings because of his leprosy. 
even after his death, his pride punished him. What a tragedy. What an unnecessary result. And what a spiritual challenge for us for 2011. It's hard to believe it's 2011. The Lord's closer than he's ever been. Every day that passes is one day closer to his return. And church and believer, we must not allow pride to infiltrate our hearts and minds because it will drag us away from the Lord and it will corrupt us. It's so sad that Uzziah didn't do what his son did, Jotham. Because it says in chapter 27 that Jotham grew powerful because he walked steadfastly before the Lord his God. That could have been Uzziah's legacy times 10. But instead, what we remember is his pride and his refusal to seek the Lord and his dangerous assumptions. Lord, we ask you this morning to work in our hearts and our minds. Father, every single person in this room, myself at the top of the list, struggles with pride and with self-sufficiency and with failing to call on you and seek you as much as we should. Lord, we pray that you would humble us Keep our hearts sensitive to your Holy Spirit who wants to lead and guide us in truth. And we pray that we would withstand by your help the attacks of the enemy who wants to drag us away, corrupt our hearts, fill us with pride, tell us the lie that we can be independent of you, that we don't need you, that it's not important that you've done some work, but now it's time to be a big person and do on your own. Father, every time we hear that, I pray you'd convict us hard and you'd guard us against it. And we would resist it. Father, help us as your children, who you are jealous over, help us as your children to walk in your ways. Help us as a church, just a young church, but Lord, what you have led us to start Help us to walk in your ways and to walk in humility every single moment that we exist until you come. May we honor you and bless you and praise you with how we live. And Lord, as you do it, we will absolutely give you all the credit because you're the only one who deserves it. We praise you, we love you, we thank you for the work you're doing, for the plans you have already ahead of us for 2011 plans to prosper us and bring us peace. Father, we will keep seeking you and keep following you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.